Hello, and welcome back to the Doxology Podcast. As always, I'm Lucas Stock. And I'm Jens Nelson. This is a podcast dedicated to journeying together on the road that is the Christian faith. Join us as we discuss and investigate theology and the Christian life, striving for unity amongst our diversity as members of Christ's church. Well, obviously, we wrote that many moons ago before we had ever, ever talked about doing this episode. But I noticed as I was reading it, I'm sorry, saying it from memory, because, of course, I memorized my own (laughs) introduction. Uh, We are talking about a topic today that involves theology and the Christian life and certainly uh, involves a lot of diversity in the church today in terms of what people have to say about it, what people have to think about it. And I think most importantly, or or at least most, uh, you know, the thing that sticks out the most is uh, different practices based on those beliefs and understandings of the topic that we're talking about today. So there's a lot to say. There's, there's As always, there's more than we'll ever get to. But because there's a lot to say, I think we should just jump right in mm-hmm. and get into sort of some we're sort of shooting for kind of an overview level kind of exploration of the idea of speaking in tongues you know what do we understand speaking in tongues to be biblically um, in the new testament what does it tell us about the role that tongues you know speaking in tongues uh, which will explain what what we're meaning by that uh in a second what role does that play in the church or the individual christian's life are there guidelines? Do do people still do it? Should we still do it? Uh, is it all just gibberish? Or, you know, there's a million things, as I said, to talk about. And we want to hit sort of the important, or at least what we think are the important sort of takeaways from any sort of thinking, of, thinking through an explanation of this phenomenon and how we integrate that with our own theological thought and our Christian practice. So without further ado, Jensen, do you want to kick it off? I think you suggested this topic, and I know that you've got some pretty good uh, like definitional type things in your notes that I think would be good to start out with. So we're all on the same page in terms of what, quote, speaking in tongues means, at least for our purposes here today. For sure. Yeah, this this episode we we came up with the idea actually because of our episode from last week. We talked about 1 Corinthians 13 in particular, uh which is about Christian love. We talked about it in the context of love within the body, not necessarily love within marriage. Uh and to to talk about that episode, we had to talk about it in its context, which it's immediately surrounded by 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14, both of which touch on this topic of tongues and and gifts. And uh, so we were like, man, we should do an episode on speaking in tongues. We've never really talked about it before. So here we are. Uh, We're glad you're here. Uh, Before before I jump into definitions, though, I do want to say, and maybe maybe you can speak to this too, uh, this is something that I do have like practical firsthand experience with uh, from, let's see, from 2009 uh, until about 2015, I attended a church that was in the Assemblies of God denomination. Uh, so if you know anything about the Assemblies of God, it is rather charismatic. Um, it, personally, the church that I attended wasn't very, I guess, charismatic in practice. It was very seldom that I would hear people actually speak in tongues, like at a service, for example. However, 
when we would go to summer camp, when we would go to like different conventions and stuff. So like two or three times a year, we would go to these places where we were surrounded by other churches in the Assemblies of God that were far more charismatic and far more, uh, I guess, interested in this idea of speaking in tongues. Like I have distinct memories of summer camp where like one of the nights, and it was usually like the last night before we would go home the following day, we would have this entire service. Um, it would be long. It would be, um, you know, really dramatic. Like the band would be uh, would be playing super mellow, but like picture like Oceans by Hillsong, like that type of music playing in the background. And you have your pastor up there who's like trying to get people to speak in tongues um, and, you know, from personal experience, I just felt like so, it felt so foreign. It was something I, I had never done. Uh, so when you have somebody up on stage saying you need to do this, like this is evidence that you're a believer. This is evidence that like the, the spirit is working in your life. It, uh, I, I couldn't help but be like, wow, then I must not be a believer. The spirit must not be working in my life because like, I don't feel what I'm told I should feel. I'm not doing what I'm told I should be doing. Uh, and so there were a lot of like really hard conversations that were had with different youth pastors and different leaders and about this idea of tongues. Um, so I, like I said, I have a little bit of like firsthand experience here. This is something that I understand on a personal level. I, I believe you had said last week, you really don't have a ton of interaction. I don't know if there's anything you want to add before we go to definitions, but I think it's worth noting, at least in this episode, we, you know, we, we often say we're not experts, and even now I'm not an expert, but I have firsthand experience that I don't always have. So I think that that's important to say. Yeah, the, the churches, you know, by the once I started going to church as a kid and, and the churches that I was a part of, certainly for the years that I really remember and, and the formative years were, were all definitely not charismatic in, in the sense of, um, you know, a focus on miraculous sign gifts uh they were all part of the sbc which technically that doesn't exclude anything but they, they were all generally um more sort of pseudo reformed leaning uh sbc churches where we didn't we didn't really ever have too much of that going on that i was aware of certainly not in the services uh wasn't something that was a big focus really in in a negative way or a positive way um there you know i i knew of people like family friends and stuff who who came from pentecostal backgrounds who sort of maintained that spiritual practice um i remember reading um uh Head Welch's, the guitarist from Korn's biography, after he became a Christian, he wrote a biography, um, and he talked about, in in that book, he talked about, uh, I, I don't remember the context of, of his experience in terms of like what what churches or, or groups he was a part of or anything like that, but, but he talked about how he kind of developed this private prayer language, which this isn't even really something that I planned on getting into, uh, but 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 we can point this out, I think, when we talk about the definitions. But And he kind of, in the book, was encouraging everyone who was reading it, like, strive for this, pray for this, develop this private prayer language. It's it's this incredible, uh, you know, like, uh, way to strengthen your, your faith. And I tried that for a while, because it's like, dude, it's the freaking... 
Corn's guitarist is is telling me to do this. Like he's a Christian and he's in Corn. That's like the coolest thing ever. So <laughs> I, uh, you know, I I that that where there was that I have I have had one or two sort of like summer camp again not not in a context of a Pentecostal denomination, but just summer camp experiences where you know very um, profound times of worship included. Um, I'm thinking of one in particular included some unprompted and and not from the leadership of our group or the camp even uh tongue speaking but um you know and i've heard stories from from like my mom and churches she was a part of before you know when i was really little but before i have any memory where where that was um more regularly part of the the practice but but so for me it's it 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 hasn't just felt foreign in terms of like when the volumes turned up on it like but it's also felt really foreign in that it's never been part or i shouldn't say it's never been a part of but it's certainly never been a major part or a quote-unquote official part or a mainstream part of any of the traditions that i've been involved in church-wise throughout my life so so it's definitely always felt like something that other christians do and I'm not sure what I think about it or uh, it feels kind of weird or maybe we shouldn't, you know, that like, but it was, it was definitely something that felt kind of out there. It's kind of like Catholics, like, you know, I don't know what's a Pentecostal. I couldn't tell you. And I, I don't know. It's weird. It's different. <laughs> yeah. um, so that's kind of my, my side of it. So, so um, it's definitely, uh, and even to this day, like, like there's been the only church service I've ever walked out of uh elena and i were looking for a church we had just moved and we were just visiting churches around and we went to this one um i don't know if it was independent assemblies of god church of god i don't know but um very um charismatic and Hmm. um you know very much in the in the pentecostal tradition whether they were part of a denomination or not i can't remember but um but it it we left i mean we 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 couldn't we it like whether that was the right decision or not at the time we couldn't stay uh it was it was definitely not a church service proceeding you know orderly in a way uh in which we were we were at that time able to worship with with that group of people i'm not going to say they were doing anything evil or demonic or you know uh, bad spirits were around uh I'm going to say I was ext- unable and uncomfortable with the the uh, the the way that their worship was being um, was progressing in such a way that, you know, I don't have a problem with loud music, people dancing, clapping, yelling, you know, but the like it, it was it was by far the most chaotic church service I'd been a part of. Um, and without poo pooing somebody else's experience and traditions, I will say that. It didn't seem to match up with with what I um, certainly what I had expected and 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 prior experience that I came to associate with quote unquote church, but also um, it didn't seem appropriate. Uh, so we left, and it was very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's very awkward. I don't know if, if you've ever left a church service in the middle of it, but it's it's not like your own church, and you right. you know you have like plans that you have to get to, but like. We just kind of showed up, and then we like we don't know anybody, we don't know anything. We just dipped. It was it was not fun, but yep. anyway. So I, I don't really have firsthand experience um, 
in the sense of me speaking in tongues or people close to me speaking in tongues. And the traditions that I've been a part of have always more had that be, um, it, if anything, it was a fringe thing and it wasn't something that got talked about a whole lot. So I've, I've for a long time had a lot of questions that I've kind of gone back and forth on because it's sort of something that's disconnected from my daily piety and experience of worship. Hmm. And if I had to guess, I think most people listening and maybe even most people in our country would have a very similar experience. I don't, I don't know that uh, this idea of speaking in tongues is all that prevalent or common. Maybe, I, maybe, maybe it is. I don't know. You let us know, listeners. Let us know if you do or if you know people that do. But uh, to give definitions, this idea of speaking in tongues comes from a word. I'm, I don't speak Greek. I don't speak Latin. So I'll probably butcher all of this. But glossolalia. Uh, it's a compound word, um, so glossa, meaning tongue or language, and leleo, uh, to speak, chat, uh, talk, prattle, or make a sound. Um, so, I mean, literally as straightforward as it gets, uh, speaking tongue, speaking language, make sound tongue. Um, like, that's the, the, the most simple way to put this. So, uh, when you see this idea in scripture... Obviously, you can read the words and you can interpret how you want to interpret what that means, that these people were speaking in tongues, they spoke in the tongues of angels. Uh, what does that mean? We need to, to dive a little bit deeper. Uh, and so I just wanted to say at the outset here uh, that references to speaking in tongues by the church fathers are rare. So we're talking about the early church immediately following Jesus and the apostles and the expansion of the church, um, except for Irenaeus. Uh, his second century reference to many in the church speaking all kinds of languages, quote, through the spirit. And then Tertullian, uh, his reference in 207 AD to the spiritual gift of interpretation of tongues being encountered in his day. So except for those two, there are no other known firsthand accounts of this uh, and very few secondhand accounts among their writings. So that's worth noting, I think. We, we, If you are familiar with our podcast, you know that we talk about the church fathers, we talk about the early church, uh, the expansion of the church, and so uh, it's it's at least interesting that, that amongst their writings, there are very few mentions of this idea, which to me would seem to indicate that perhaps this was uh, a practice that ceased relatively quickly, uh, and so then you'd have to ask yourself, why is that? So I know Lucas and, has... And those two people who do have those sounds like pretty explicit references to what certainly sounds to me like some kind of miraculous tongue, like language speaking, uh, are both like you mentioned, like super early, right? It, like chronologically, like if we're talking about just if we're talking about something ceasing as the church expands, it which we'll get into it. Maybe it did. Maybe it, you know whatever. The point is like. Those two most strong references are much earlier in history than um, than later. So I think that's interesting. Another interesting piece of that to note. For sure. And, and so before we go any further, what I want is to evaluate some of the biblical warrant uh, or perhaps just some of the biblical texts that address this issue. So I know Luke, I know that Lucas has done some uh, some some reading, some uh, compiling of, of texts. So why don't you share those? And then after you're done with that, we'll sort of look at this idea uh, throughout church history as the church grew and developed in, in different ages, in different times and places uh, to get an idea of what this practice was doing throughout time. But let, let's start, let's first start with scripture. Yeah, so um, obviously, or maybe it's not obvious, it seems obvious to me, like 
the place to go, the place to start is Acts 2, Pentecost. There's a reason that an entire group of Christians are called Pentecostals, you know, like there's, this is where we see this practice uh, from a, from the perspective of the church really coming from the experience of the apostles on the day of Pentecost in Acts. So we, we, I mean, we don't really have time to read everything that we want to talk about. So I'll just say, especially verses 1 through 21 are, are really helpful. But as a brief refresher, we've got the apostles are gathered. The spirit comes upon them, descends on the day of Pentecost. Tongue, you know, tongues like fire appear above their heads. And they all start speaking in other tongues as the spirit enabled them. That's in, in Acts 2, 4. Oh, oh, well, the whole sentence. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Um, for the sake of, of simplicity, like when we when we are saying the English words, you know, speak, talk, tongues, language, those are all these 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 words that make up the the term glossolalia, like you like you mentioned. These are these are just the normal words for language and speaking. Um, and all these Jews from all over the world who are all visiting Jerusalem for Pentecost hear all these different languages. And they're like, what the heck? How do they know our language? Um, because they were all from different parts of the empire that's, and they spoke different languages, but they, they were hearing their own languages and they were, they were like, what's going on with that? Some people made fun of them, said, oh, they're just drunk. And then Peter gets up and he starts his Pentecost sermon. And he starts it, well, before he really gets into the sermon, he, he explains what's going on. Um, and the way that he explains speaking in tongues is he, he quotes the prophet Joel, um, which I, I forget the verses, but I think it's in Joel 2. I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So obviously, you know, the great and glorious day of the Lord didn't come on Pentecost because the, the, the world continued. Um, but the things that, that specifically speak to what's going on with the, speaking of these other languages in a miraculous way, speaking languages that you don't know as a result of being filled with the Spirit, you have pouring out my Spirit on all people and they will prophesy, I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. And seeing, I mean, we see in the story of Acts 2, whatever we want to say about tongues in other places we don't have to wonder why God gave the gift of tongues coinciding with the spirit here to the apostles, because it tells us all these people from all over the empire heard things in their own language. They asked what's going on. Peter preaches the gospel to them. And then at the end of that sermon, they say, well, what must we do to be saved? And 3000 of them are baptized and join the church. And that's how the church like, get started, right? Like that's the the birthday of the church or whatever. Um, 
And verse 21 of Acts 2, which is part of that Joel quote, says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So I think what we're seeing very obviously in what Peter's explanation of the tongues is, is a miraculous sign from God explicitly connected with the sending of the Holy Spirit for the purpose of people calling on the name of the Lord to be saved. And I I think that is pretty obvious and explicit in the actual story being recounted in Acts 2. And I think that that gives us a good grid for understanding, we'll say, miraculous spiritual gifts, if that makes sense. And um, there's a couple of, of things related to that that I think will come out clearer in the next passage I want to talk about. So unless you've got more you want to add specifically on Acts 2, I think we'll, we'll, we'll move on to 1 Corinthians 14, which is a very different uh, text than Acts. This is a letter uh, being written by Paul to a church that he founded. Deal, you know, we talked about this a lot last time. Um, he's he's addressing concerns and he's providing teachings um, for and correction. And this is right after the the love chapter that we talked about last week. And it's part of this broader conversation for the last few chapters talking about unity in the church, love in the church, mutual service in the church, uh, what it looks like to, to, to be the church, so to speak. And he's talking about, about tongues uh, along with prophecy in 1 Corinthians 14. Um, this is, he, he kind of gives a little bit of an of a instruction manual for, for what tongues are supposed to look like in a church service, which is... Uh, interesting and and helpful it's not it's not comprehensive but he does give some some sort of it's much more of a of a bullet pointed kind of command list versus acts which is a narrative story right he calls tongues a gift of the spirit so again we've got this close link with the spirit that's the spirit is the one who gives this gift and also this is a gift uh which you know, I would say references the fact that it's it's not just the idea of somebody doing something of their own accord. You know, it's a gifting from God, and it's from God, so it's miraculous. Um, and that also, in addition to sort of telling us that tongues is connected with with the Spirit in that sense, it also gives us the context for understanding. What is what is the point, or or how do you what do you do with that gifting? Because zooming out a little bit, not only in First Corinthians, uh, like like twelve, thirteen, fourteen, but also just littered all over Paul's letters. Um, it's very obvious what the the individual Christian, as a part of the body of Christ, the church, is supposed to do with their spiritual gifts like the spiritual gifts there are there are different lists all throughout the new testament um giving all kinds of 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 examples of spiritual gifts it's not a mystery what those are for they're for the mutual edification and building up of one another in the church right um they're not for our own private use they're not for 
um, our own egos, certainly. Like, oh, look at me, you know, I can speak in tongues and, and kind of like, you know, like a party trick almost. Um, but also not that, but, the, you know, we're also told that like teaching and uh, faith and, and giving and generosity, like these are gifts too. It's not just things like tongues and healing, which for us, I think in our culture, especially for those of us who don't like practice those things in our churches, I think tend to feel like they're in a very different category than something like teaching, which like every day we encounter people who are teachers and we grew up with teachers and we go to church and we go to Sunday school and, and someone's, te- you know, so like that feels like to me, at least it's easy to think of that as something very different, but, but these are all spiritual gifts. And the reason for that is that they have a, a specific use, right? And maybe it's um, helpful real quick. I, I do. Yeah. I, I figure this is a, a good time to bring this up. First Corinthians 12, starting in four says, now there are different gifts, but the same spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. And there are different activities, but the same God uh, works all of them in each person. A manifestation of the spirit is given to each person for the common good. To one is given a message of wisdom through the spirit. To another, a message of knowledge by the same spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one spirit. To another, the performing of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, interpretation of tongues. One and the same spirit is active in all of these, distributing to each person as he wills. So, I mean, that's pretty clear to me. For Again, this is 1 Corinthians 12, the direct context of the passage uh, that precedes what you've read. Right. And, and it's just it's just so helpful to keep that in mind um, that they're not this separate weird thing, you know. So on that in that sense, we don't we, we shouldn't be like trying to you know for those of us who who do, who who don't speak in tongues, uh, this isn't some, like this is a spiritual gift, you know. It just st- sticking with the you know keeping our New Testament hats on for now, right? Like understanding that context is helpful for demystifying in in a in a proper way like recognizing that it's not this weird out there fringe thing this is i mean paul says in in chapter 14 um i wish that you would all speak in tongues (laughs) right like like he's not he's not afraid of them speaking in tongues he doesn't think it's a bad thing the point is what is the purpose of a spiritual gift which tongues is one healing is one prophecy is one etc 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 and there's this there's this one this one sentence in particular in chapter 14 really concisely says it the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified the point of prophesying the point of speaking in tongues which is useless unless you have an interpreter so that everyone else can understand it is that the church may be edified it's 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 right there in you know for us, black and white ink printed on the page. <laughs> um, and part of that, I think, also ties into understanding, like, well, what are these tongues, right? So I mentioned earlier, not to pick on Brian Welch, but uh, I mentioned this. There's, there is a concept. I don't really know the history of it or where it comes from or how, how prevalent it is. But there is, I have encountered a concept of a private prayer language. Um, I have also heard like my mom i've heard a story from her a few times the church where where she came to know the lord um 
she she sometimes has told me that that while preaching, the pastor would occasionally quote slip into tongues, and then he'd kind of catch himself and stop and continue in English. I don't see either of those as <laughs> recently. <laughs> recently, uh, Elaine and I have been quite enjoying. Uh, I don't know. I don't know the channel. Is it TBN? I don't know. It's one of those like televangelist uh, type channels um on our on our cable package we get it or whatever and there's some remarkable people <laughs> like apostle wayne t jackson oh it's so much fun i should I, it's a, i'm sure that's a that that's a evidence of a of a sin issue in my heart but it's so much fun to watch these these um not just sermons but they'll also have like like kind of like talks like interviews like it's just it's so much fun to watch these shows but but like they're up there and they'll be praying for people, you know, they're like, you know, call in with your prayer requests, you know, gr- great. Um, and, and they'll be praying like, oh, you know, I think we've all sort of um, can imagine this or, or we've seen it like, oh, someone, someone out there is, is struggling with, with cancer right now. And, you know, you're in a lot of pain in your abdomen and, and oh, I'm going to, you know, Lord, you know, heal this cancer. That's not what Paul is talking about. And the reason that I can say that, and, and I, I, I say that pretty strongly, is that he, he talks about tongues being unintelligible to people. He talks about them being spiritual, quote, mysteries. But he talks about there needing to be someone to interpret them. We've got Acts 2, and we know that those were languages from, you know, I mean, it literally lists the places, Cappadocia. Uh, Judea, Mesopotamia, Pontus, Asia, Mede—you know the Medes and the Parthi. Like we know that we're, this is just talking about languages in, in the mundane sense. Um, but also in First Corinthians uh, fourteen, he quotes Paul quotes Isaiah twenty-eight eleven, where Paul, uh, Paul, where God is is uh, is telling Israel that. People who who are going to come, like a nation that you don't know, a foreign nation who speaks a language you don't understand, are going to come. And it's what's really interesting is he's not talking about like Isaiah isn't prophesying about miraculous gifts of tongues, but Paul quotes that verse that mentions you know strange language uh, in the context of talking about tongues. Um, and it's very obvious that that Isaiah is talking about literal languages because he's talking about a foreign people are going to come in and conquer you and they speak a language you don't know so i think that we can we can you know i think that on on the basis of the pattern we see in the new testament and the instructions that we see in the new testament i think we can pretty safely kind of put a, a boundary up where whatever we want to say about speaking in tongues we we i think we have to exclude the idea that it's just gibberish that has no earthly meaning and there's just this it's this sort of spiritual code that is miraculous and it's just if you don't have that if the gift to interpret it it's just gibberish to you it just sounds like which it sounds like i'm being kind of condescending but i mean if you watch you know apostle wayne t jackson that's what he sounds like um not to pick i didn't mean to call somebody out today but i guess that's what we're doing um um and also uh, really importantly, um, speaking in tongues as part of, of a church service, i.e. while you're the pastor preaching, 
um, or, you know, if you are maybe in our context, you know, like a worship leader and you begin speaking in tongues or whatever, um, without interpretation, like Paul seems to, to kind of in first Corinthians 14, chastise the Corinthians for doing that because, because tongues are useless unless you have interpretation because nobody knows what you're saying. And the whole point is to edify the body and to be, uh, witnesses convicting unbelievers of their sin and by by presenting them with the gospel right um tongues are a sign he says they have which goes back to this specific function and this is completely congruent with what peter and the apostles do on the day of pentecost this is just presented in a way that's like i said more explicitly like do this, do this, do this. And, you know, Paul even says, I'd rather speak five words in a, like, clearly than a thousand words in tongues. And the point of that is because if, if you, you're just speaking in a tongue that nobody understands, like if you've ever been in a room where people are speaking to each other in a language you don't understand, it, it might as well be gibberish, even though it's not gibberish. It, 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 like they could be telling you the most magnificent story. <laughs> if you don't know the language, it serves you no, like you you can't understand what's going on unless it's interpreted to you, uh, which is why people need to learn other languages in order to speak with other people, you know? And um, that I think gives us the guidelines that I think we can start having more sort of nitty gritty discussions. For sure. Um, around things like is this something that happens at all anymore should we be doing it in church should we not is it is it wrong you know like all of those conversations i think there's they're they're going to be a lot i think less immediately clear because they're not necessarily highlighted explicitly in the new testament for us but the things that are i think are things like we're talking about real language being you real in the sense of maybe it is angelic but in the sense of it can be it can be understood if right. it's interpreted um and like the interpretation is presupposed you know in in acts they didn't need an interpreter because they they were speaking it they were speaking the languages and the people hearing them knew those languages and that was the miracle and in corinthians he's paul is saying you need an interpreter so that the message can be understood um so let's, let's just, the, yeah, yeah. Let's just like think about this like super practically, like, like just bare bones. Like, let's try to figure out what the heck would be the purpose of this. So if we're talking about people being able to speak in these tongues, what, what purpose does it serve? You've mentioned like the edification of the body, the, ed, you know, the edification of the church, but what does that mean? What, what good does speaking in other language, even if there's an interpreter there, what good does that do for the body in general? That's, that's like one of the questions we have to ask ourselves. And so if yeah. you can imagine, if you can imagine the early church, uh, this movement as people are literally dispersed. I mean, Jesus calls people to leave from Jerusalem, Judea to the ends of the earth. These people are to go out to be witnesses of the gospel. Uh, how else are people going to do that in foreign language, like in, sorry, in foreign countries, if they do not necessarily know that foreign language, right? And so you have to imagine that this is almost an undoing of the Tower of Babel. 
the 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 Tower of Babel, where where uh, you know these people had gathered, they had one language, they were all, they had everything in common. Uh, God comes down, confuses their language so that they can no longer understand each other. Well, in in a way, this is a, a cosmic undoing of that. God, in a miraculous way through the power of the Spirit, is enabling people to speak in tongues that they don't necessarily know, and there's someone there to interpret it so that. Those who, so let's just imagine that Jens, this is, this is all hypothetical. Jens is in the, the, the nation of Dr. Pepper. Uh, all the people speak Dr. Pepper in this language or in this country. And so as I'm there, I'm trying to communicate the gospel. But, you know, the, uh, interspersed, there might be some other people who speak, you know, Jens's own native tongue. Uh, and so as Jens speaks this Dr. Pepperian language, uh, there's someone there to interpret it to the people who uh, don't speak Dr. Pepper. Maybe, for example, that's a really bad... I probably should have like used real languages in real, real places, but I think you understand what I'm saying. Like the, the point was not this personal... Like I'm just trying to think of like a pastor who's up on stage these days who, quote, slips into tongues. Like that does... That literally does nothing. There is no point in that, especially if it sounds like gibberish or if it's even like another language. If there's nobody there to hear, interpret, or understand that language, what then is the point? God would not give this gift for you to just slip into and spout off uh, for no apparent reason. Like there's a specific purpose in the fact that tongues are spoken, especially in the New Testament context. Right. And I think the word sign is really helpful. Um, because like like I remember like learning in in like you know that our C doc you know our, our first semester intro theology class at Moody like I remember like talking about things like like uh, tongues and healing and prophecy as as quote unquote sign gifts and I don't know how how common it is like I think I think if somebody said that you'd you'd have a most people would have a pretty good understanding of what sign gifts meant and at least basically i don't know how common of a term that is um but like that 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 the idea does come straight from the bible like like i said i I quoted you know in first corinthians 14 paul calls prophecy in tongues a sign Um, both of them are signs but i think that sign is really helpful because signs are you know this is a little abstract but like 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 signs in the sense of you know a road sign or a sign on a on a building telling you what store is inside inside but but also more than that you know signs are witnesses that communicate something that that the and and what's what's big too is like it communicates something that is that is that is true that is real that is being that is being brought to you right like in the sense of it's not about communicating a certain package of information so you know something you didn't, right? That's not what preaching the gospel is about. It involves communicating packages of information because you can't you can't encounter, you know, uh, you can't encounter the gospel if you don't know the facts to to some extent, you know, like in at least in broad terms. And that's what these things are doing. They're, they're signs, but what are they signs to? They're signs to the outpouring of the Spirit on Pentecost. That's, that is a, like you said, cosmic shift. <laughs> the, the Holy Spirit, you know, Joel 2 being fulfilled and the Holy Spirit being <laughs> falling on, on the apostles 
and being communicated in and indwelling the people of the church. Like that is that is uh that that is I mean I don't I don't even know the words for it. And that like that is what is being communicated by these signs. That's what's being communicated through we, we speak of sacraments as signs in the same way. That this this is this is communicating something that is true not as a merely just sort of uh, you know uh, psychological you know informing or a mental assent and understanding but it's also making those realities present in the experience of the individual in that moment such that you know it brings them into contact with with God's spirit and that's what's going on right sign it's not it's like we've said a few times it's not it's it's certainly not private but it also needs to be contextualized in a place where there is an interpreter hmm. or it's a miraculous sign because you're engaging somebody who doesn't speak your language you have no way to communicate and god gives you that gift so that you might communicate to them right there's there, there's always this this just like all the other spiritual gifts there, there's there's this so that right i'm like the apostles are speaking in tongues on the day of pentecost so that those people who are literally there and hear them encounter the miraculous work of god's spirit and that 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 confrontation causes them causes 3000 of them to to be baptized that day right, right. like there's acts is so great because we get sort of the perfect ideal uh picture from start to finish of of the point right and so um you're exactly right like like what is the point and it's it's without you know not trying to interrogate every particular instance that anybody has ever spoken in tongues but the point is that we have to keep these patterns in the new testament in mind or else we we at the very least we run the 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 very real risk of sort of trying to chart our own path right and i just think that's always a dangerous game to play when we're talking about about the things of god particularly because (laughs) he's given us his revelation and you know there Believe me, if you've listened to this podcast, you know this is true. If you've ever spent time in the Bible, you know this is true, or with other Christians. Like, trust me, I get it. Like, there are a lot of things that are not easy to work out. But I think that this is pretty easy to work out. Agreed, yeah. Meaning, what is the point? What is the use? And what is the function and and benefit of these gifts? You know, in our conversation today, specifically tongues. um, It seems, you know... I say this less and less the older I get, but it seems pretty clear <laughs> um, Ooh, that that uh, that certainly there are some some pretty pretty good guidelines, or, or not even guidelines, but like guardrails, where we can maybe have a lot a lot more back and forth within those guardrails. But I do think that we can be pretty confident in what those guardrails are in terms of. What are the boundaries that we're talking about? And that, and and I, I think we anybody hopefully would, would be able to agree with us because what we've been putting forward as quote unquote guardrails are all focused on the communication of the truth of 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 the gospel. Like that's the thrust of everything. And you need to like 
keeping that at the center is the goal. Right, um, right. Not saying, oh, you know, I don't engage in this spiritual practice, and so I'm going to, you know, come up with a reason that I can say that if you do, you know, you're sinning or whatever. <laughs> like, no, but obviously, the, it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, we, we need to be careful because, like, speaking again from experience, that felt like the the implication if you were not speaking in tongues when I was at camp, for example. And I also have friends and family and relatives, like people I know who have gone to these charismatic Bible colleges even. I won't name them, but I'll tell you what city, Minneapolis, Minnesota, uh, like where if you were not speaking in tongues, it was evidence of sin in your life. Um, And so I apologize, the cat is pawing at the door, (laughs) Uh, but ignore that. Uh, So but it was this assumption that everybody should be able to speak in tongues. Uh, and so I'm going to read this passage just real briefly. It says, and this is First Corinthians 12. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. This is right after Paul had just said, like, there are many members of the body. Each have their own function. The foot can't say to the hand, I have no use for you. Uh, so you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. And God has appointed these in the church. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, next miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, leading, various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all do miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But desire the greater gifts and I will show you an even better way. And then that goes into the passage directly talking about Christian love, love is patient and kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. And so the problem that I have from, again, from personal experience with this idea of speaking in tongues, when it's misunderstood or at least understood in the way that a lot of assemblies of God and charismatic people talk about it is it's this thing that we should all be able to do. We should all be able to speak in tongues. It's evidence of the spirit working and dwelling within us. Uh, so you should have this little private prayer language type deal, uh, and the problem is, I don't, like we, I think we've said here, I don't see that in scripture, this idea of a, of a personal prayer language necessarily. Uh, when we see speaking in tongues, it's a, it's a specific thing uh, in a time and a place. Like you said, we, we have these guardrails. Uh, and especially this passage of there are different types of gifts, there are, and not everybody has the same gift. Do all speak in tongues? It's a, it's a rhetorical question, but the implied answer is no. Not everybody speaks in tongues. And so when I've had family and friends come to me and talk to me and discuss these things, like having been really hurt by institutions that have said, if you're not speaking in tongues, it's evidence of sin in your life. Like that's a really big problem, one that ought to be addressed. And I'm just one person. I don't have the ability or the authority to, to do anything about this on an institutional level. All I can do is sit behind my uh, my blue Yeti microphone and my little podcast and proclaim out into the, the corners of the world that listen to us that like, be careful with the way that you speak about speaking in tongues. Uh, are, are you certain that what you believe or what you say is actually biblical and scriptural? Uh, because at the end of the day, that is our our foundation. That is what helps guide our, our faith and practice. And when I say our faith and our practice, I mean what we believe and do what we believe about speaking in tongues and what we do with speaking in tongues. Uh, if, if, we ha- if we come to scripture and we, ha- we don't have biblical evidence for this idea that all of us are going to speak in tongues and it's this language where we can pray to God, 
then we should be careful about in, uh, believing and encouraging other people to do so. Um, and I know that I, I've heard as I've argued this with people that like, well, what about what Paul says, you know, right there in, in chapter 13 about if I speak in the tongues of angels? Um, well, first of all, Paul is not saying that he does speak in the tongue of angels. Paul is saying, if I do this, but don't love people, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. He's being very like poetic. Like I can, I can speak, it's not even just human language. I could speak the language of the gods, this, this really mystical and powerful thing. But if I don't love people, I'm just a noisy guy over in the corner clanging around. That's what he's trying to say. He's not saying I speak some angelic language to, uh, you know, that way I can pray to God in my prayer closet. Um, so again, we, we need to be real careful with with, with scripture, with, uh, with interpretation. And by that, I mean interpretation of scripture and maybe even interpretation of tongues. Um, but... You know, I uh, I think this might be an appropriate time before we, or maybe I, sh- I should say, as we wind down, as we close out of this episode, uh, to just sort of touch on a couple of church history examples. So, uh, as this I, as this idea developed, as it spread, as the church grew, as it expanded, what's the deal? So, as I said, very few references in the early church, uh, uh, hardly any, when you compare to all the other things that they talked about. Um, and so, for example, in the 12th century, uh, Bernard of Clairvaux, Clairvaux, uh, whatever, uh, he, he explained that speaking in tongues was no longer present because there were greater miracles, that is, the transformed lives of believers. Okay, so interesting. He at least talked about this idea of speaking in tongues, and he says it's no longer present. Uh, in 1265, a gentleman no one ever heard of, Thomas Aquinas, uh, wrote about the gift of tongues in the New Testament, which he understood to be the ability to speak every language given for the purposes of missionary work. Interesting. He said, quote, nor does each one of the faithful now speak save in one tongue, for no one speaks in the tongues of all nations because the church herself already speaks the languages of all nations. That's really interesting. I think some of the implications of what Aquinas is saying, you know, that it's for missionary work, it's so that the gospel could spread to the ends of the earth. If you don't speak, if you're going to places and you don't know the language, how are you going to communicate the gospel? It's going to take a long time for you to learn this language, uh, or you could have this miraculous gift that was given at a specific time in a specific place to communicate quickly and effectively. Um, Jump ahead a few centuries, the 17th century, uh, early Quakers, such as Edward Burrow, make mention of tongue speaking in their meetings, saying, quote, We spoke with new tongues as the Lord gave us utterance and his spirit led us. So uh, the closer you get to this modern era that we live in, uh, the more that this idea of speaking in tongues begins, begins to ramp up again. Uh, because in the 19th century, a gentleman named Edward Irving uh, in the Catholic Apostolic Church, uh, he says... Um, Uh, So he's a minister of the Church of Scotland. Uh, He writes of a woman who would speak at great length and with superhuman strength in an unknown tongue to the great astonishment of all who heard and to her own great edification and enjoyment in God. Her own great edification. Interesting. So this guy's writing about this woman who has this miraculous ability to speak in a tongue no one knows, and it's to her own great edification and her enjoyment in God. Um, another example in the 19th century, uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So we're talking about the LDS. 
uh, congregations here. It contains extensive references. So the history, again, contains extensive references to the practice of speaking in tongues by Brigham Young, Joseph Smith, and many others. So I don't know. I I know we've done some episodes on um, Latter-day Saints. Uh, Perhaps we have some listeners who are are in in this world still. Um, I know that people have at least listened to our episodes and given us feedback on Joseph Smith, for example, but uh, the history of your church has a lot to say about speaking in tongues. And then we get to the 20th century. So we're talking about the 1900s. This idea, glossolalia, um, primarily became associated with Pentecostalism and the later charismatic movements. Uh, Preachers in the holiness movement, for example, such as Charles Parham and William Seymour, are credited as co-founders of this movement. And so Parham and Seymour taught that, quote, baptism of the Holy Spirit was not the blessing of sanctification, but rather a third work of grace that was accompanied by the experience of tongues. So again, in the 19, uh, 1900s, early 1900s, we have a holiness movement. Uh, we have this growth and spread of Pentecostalism, especially in the United States. And people are saying that like this, this being baptized in the Holy Spirit, that this is a third work of grace beyond sanctification, beyond salvation, um, and it's accompanied by the experience of tongues. And it was also this gentleman, Parham, uh, who formulated the doctrine of, quote, initial evidence. So after studying the Bible, Parham came to the conclusion that speaking in tongues was uh, biblical evidence that one had received baptism with the Holy Spirit. Um so again, as, as church history progressed, as the church expanded, and then as we get closer to modern, uh, modern days and modern times, we see this, this growth and this expansion of this idea of speaking in tongues. Where it comes from, you know, maybe we can't pinpoint the exact uh, you know, date and time and, and location, uh, but it spread like wildfire, and I think it continues to this day. And I think personally, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna land and, and give some sort of like conclusion or explanation on this, is that uh, that the idea of speaking in tongues in the biblical sense is speaking in human languages that humans can understand for the purpose of advancing the gospel to the ends of the earth. That is what I think speaking in tongues means biblically. This, this this idea that comes more recently, so I, I think Lucas and I are going to do soon a whole episode on the Azusa Street Revival. Um, there's a lot to unpack uh, in that sort of world, but that has a lot to do with this holy movement um, or holiness movement, this idea of Pentecostalism, the, the charismatic movement. Um, but th- there's there's something very peculiar that that happens in those that extends to today. So like what we when you when you hear people talk about speaking in tongues, when you interact with these people, it is the uh, it is the evidence or the um, the result of 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 these movements. And I don't necessarily think it holds a ton of weight. Personally, I've spoken to people. At these camps that I've attended, and I'd, I'd be like, "Yo, what the heck is up with like what you're saying? Do you know what you're saying?" And I have people who said that they faked it. Literally, I know people who have told me that they faked it so that they would fit in, so that it would seem like they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. Uh, and that's man, that is that is dangerous. If, if especially at a, at a uh, it at a place like a church camp where there are are, are vulnerable children. 
at the like peak time in their life where like hormones are raging they're super excited to like be away from home you know they have all this cash to spend on uh food and soda they're hanging out with their friends playing gaga all day yeah, they're, they're meeting their camp girlfriend, and then they gather in the church hall. The music is so emotional and moving, and the speaker's talking about speaking in tongues and how this is an outpouring of the Spirit in your life and how this is evidence that you've been sanctified and born again and that you've received the Holy Spirit. Of course you're going to fake it, dude. Of course you're going to do what what like what feels emotional and like feels like it. it it's a, it's a, okay, I'm, be, I'm, I'm revealing my cards. It's a manufactured thing. It is, it is completely staged and manufactured in this sense of like you've got the band, you've got the time and the place and the emotion. The especially when you have it that last night, everybody's sleep deprived. Everybody just wants to get out of there, so you're gonna speak in tongues. And and I want to believe that these people have good intentions. That these people are not trying to be malicious. That they're not trying to do anything nefarious. Um, but I know I know firsthand the the damage that I can cause both like personally uh spiritually mentally emotionally to not be able to do this to have friends who appeared to be able to do this it, man it is it's it's a dangerous thing and so I caution you those of you who are listening and maybe maybe someone is listening to this that wants to push back great I love being a little bit spicy because it often generates a little bit of pushback and we get to engage on like a real level. So maybe we'll have an interview with somebody who has some pushback on this. That would be awesome. If you do, please let us know. Find us on Twitter. Find us on Instagram. Send us an email. Um, but that's what I want to say. So what about you, man? I feel like I just let out the, uh, you know, all the, all my cards. So let's, let's close this yeah. more appropriately. I think that definition that you gave at the beginning in terms of like what, York sort of summary statement of what's what speaking in tongues is i couldn't have said it better myself i think that's that's a a great succinct way to, to to express what's going on i have a lot of um issues with some of the like excesses that you see through whether it's youth camps or televangelists doing that kind of thing to manufacture a certain you know like the 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 Benny Hinn videos where you've got you've got the lightsabers edited over his coat as <laughs> um but you know there there's that and and I think that we ought to be pretty uh pretty firm and uh strong in saying that 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 indicates some pretty severe excess and and problems that that hold real spiritual damage to to be dealt to people like you're saying um, and, and the only other thing I would say is, is I would, I love the idea of, and I'm sure this has been done. I just, this isn't the sort of thing that I typically spend time on in, in my, in, in terms of the, the waters I swim in and at school and, and in the, the things I read and stuff, I'm sure this has been done, but, um, conversation between Pentecostal and non-Pentecostal, um, Christians around what do we agree on? on the topic of speaking in tongues and and then you being being able to, to understand that to then have the conversations to really understand okay so why do you do this or why do you not do this and i think that would be a really fruitful conversation i'll i'll just repeat it because you never know who will hear this I, I would love to 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 seek out and have like a 
I guess it's not face to face, a a a FaceTime to FaceTime um, conversation with with somebody who does uh, in you know interpret the Bible in such a way that they they come to different conclusions than us on that. Um, to be able to have have a conversation around uh, interpretation of text and also just um, just spiritual practice, but but I but I, I just I agree with your summary statement, and I think that that indicates exactly where we're trying to go. And and um, any spe- you know speak in tongues or not, I think we got to keep the the biblical guide guardrails pretty you know place a pretty strong emphasis on them to make sure that we're we're striving to to stick to them. Um, and if we can't do that, then uh, it's not much use trying to do anything else. So I, I, I hope we were able to sort of touch on some issues and and raise and answer a couple questions that that will work towards s- sort of putting up those those guardrails in a way that makes sense and is consistent with God's revelation. But um, that's 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 certainly what we attempted to do. So hopefully that that you know God, you know whatever we said that was that was wacky you know, hopefully God will just make you forget it. But yeah, <laughs> I think, I think that about does it. Um, obviously, you know, we did, we decided to talk about speaking in tongues and we spoke in our native tongues for over an hour at this point. So I think it's a good time <laughs> to, to wrap up. So instead of listening to us blab on glot, you know, gloss a la 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 on let's, <laughs> uh, let's, let's, let's close with some, with some, some words of prayer instead. Yeah. So this, this is a great way to reorient, uh, to, to get to the heart of, of why we do this podcast. Uh, this is from the Valley of Vision. It's called seventh day morning, God's good pleasure. It says sovereign Lord, thy will is supreme and heaven and earth and all beings are creatures of thy power. Thou art the father of our spirits. Thy inspiration gives us understanding and thy providence governs our lives. But, O God, we are sinners in thy sight. Thou hast judged us so, and if we deny it, we make thee a liar. Yet in Christ thou art reconciled to thy rebellious subjects. Give us the ear of faith to hear him, the eye of faith to see him, the hand of faith to receive him, the appetite of faith to feed upon him, that we might find in him light, riches, honor, and eternal life. Thou art the inviting one, May we hearken to thee, the almighty instructor. Teach us to live to thee, the light dweller, inaccessible to man and angels, hiding thyself behind the elements of creation, but known to us in Jesus. Possess our minds with the grandeur of thy perfections. Thy love to us in Jesus is firm and changeless. Nothing can separate us from it, and in the enjoyment of it, nothing can make us miserable. Preserve us from hypocrisy and formality in religion. Enable us to remember what uh, what thou art and who uh, and what we are. To recall thy holiness and our unworthiness. Teach us to approach thee clothed with humility. For vanity, forwardness, insensibility, disorderly affections, backwardness to duty, proneness to evil are in our hearts. Let us never forget thy patience, wisdom power, faithfulness, care, and never cease to respond to thy invitations. Amen. Amen. So thank you for listening to this episode of the Doxology podcast. And thank you for listening to any episode. We appreciate you. We're glad that you're here. And if you want to connect with us, if you want to engage, if you want to throw some pushback our way, you can find us on Twitter 
and Instagram at Doxology Podcast. Or you can send us a more long-form email. We get those from time to time. You can send it to doxologypodcast at gmail.com. But truthfully and sincerely, we welcome your feedback. We welcome your questions. We welcome your episode ideas. We welcome your like true engagement, whether that's like, yeah, I'm right there with you. I've had the same experiences. Or I would like to offer some critiques because I don't think you're correct here. I've had different experiences. And that's awesome. So to echo what Lucas said, if there's something that from this episode you feel uh, compelled to message message us about and you want to have some sort of engagement, we would be happy to engage, um, perhaps even have some sort of episode where we talk these things through in greater detail. So um, yeah, let us know, hit us up. And until next time, we hope that you're doing well and peace. See you.